I guess I'll flat out come and say it. Do you think NASCAR would sacrifice a driver's life for money? Because I think they will. We are live, Stacking Denny's Episode 4 after Atlanta. I am Jordan McAbee of FantasyRacingOnline.com. My co-host, Nick Giffen, a.k.a. Rotodog from Fantasy Labs. Nick, what do you think of Atlanta? Uh, entertaining race, I thought. Um, obviously, it was really mostly a two-car show between uh, the Bush brothers there. Um, but, you know, cars could move through the field as as is possible Atlanta with its wide racing surface. Well, formerly wide racing surface uh, and high tire wear. So, you know, if you, your tires were better than the other guys, you could just pass with ease and we saw that for example with martin trex jr slicing through the field multiple times um so i thought it was a it was a good race you know there was the one caution early with stenhouse and suarez and and where um there was other than that it was stage cautions and it was green all the way through green flag pit stops you know a speeding penalty or two here and there um just kind of a typical mile and a half especially high tire wear mile and a half race where as we talked about on last week's show uh, higher tire wear tends to lead to fewer incidents, and we saw it again this week with just the one incident outside of the the stage and uh, competition cautions. So, um, just thought the you know obviously this is the the controversial ending with Ross Chastain kind of taking Kyle Busch's line away. Um, you know, a lot of people see it differently. I think I think most people, I think even yourself would agree it was fair. You just don't like that he didn't fess up to it. Um, but I, I mean, what's he supposed to go do? Because there was another car high, so he took the middle lane. Was he supposed to go down the, the bottom lane and block his teammate? Um, so you know, he chose the middle lane essentially, uh, and I think that's totally fair. Um, but you're right; he didn't fess up to it, and I think that's kind of the the controversy of versi of the week. I think most people, there are definitely people who are like, "Oh, he blocked him. It sucks. It's awful." Um, I think most people are fine with it, especially when you watch it back. There's there's enough room. I, Kyle even could have come down if he wanted. Uh, you know, Ross may still move down further, but um, but if Kyle had come down, you know, that would have been in front of Kurt. Kurt may have had to move up. Who knows what would happen? But uh, yeah, kind of a, an interesting ending there. Uh, and curious as to your thoughts on on the whole thing as well. Just not just the the ending, but the whole race. I th- I really enjoyed the race. Um, I you know as far as Kurt Busch. I, I was kind of on him. I was definitely on him on Fanduel. I was I was super overweight on Kurt Busch. Did not see him winning, but I thought he had legit top five potential. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see him do well. I didn't I didn't think he was I didn't even think he was going to win late in the race. You know, with Kyle closing up. Um, as far as the as far as Chastain and what he did, like you said, I I completely see it. So my general stance on on that. So I I've been very critical of the back markers, not getting out of the way. I think they need to get the hell out of the way when the leaders are coming. Cause a lot of people, Cody Ware especially doesn't, he just doesn't get out of the way. He continues to drive his line. And I don't think they should. That said at a track like Atlanta, they're going about 15 miles an hour slower than the leaders, as opposed to Chastain, who was probably what five miles an hour off the pace. Like he wasn't like a crazy. At most, probably. Yeah. Yeah, he was just a mid-pack car, and he was running 21st, I think. So he was getting passed. Or, or, yeah, he was getting passed and lapped. So I have no problem with what Chastain did. Like I said, I don't like that when he was asked about it, he gave a you know a, a stand-up cardboard cutout answer and just wouldn't even like 
just say just say what you did. Just say I helped my teammate win. I was a good teammate. And I understand, you know, I saw I saw a lot of tweets. Um, you and I kind of went back and forth, and then there were some other people that chimed in that said, you know, oh, they have to do that. That's how it's always been. That's what the sponsors want. I would argue that the sponsors would rather have someone – let's say Kyle Busch did the same thing. You think he'd sit there and say, I, I, didn't, blo- I didn't purposely block? No, Kyle Busch is going to make headlines. He's going to rattle some feathers – any publicity is good publicity. So if I'm a sponsor and I'm not, I don't sponsor any race cars, but if I am, I would want my driver to say, yes, I did that because you know what that does? It creates a story. And you know what they're talking about all week? You know what race hubs talking about all week? You know what even Jim Utter will talk about all week is that story. And then they're talking about your race car. Your well, race they're car talking about it now. I mean, what, they're talking they about it now, even with the even with the cookie cutter response. I've uh, I've never once heard a driver in history say, "Oh yeah, I blocked for my team." Look at the first Atlanta race; Joey Logano blocked Kyle Larson so that Blaney could catch true. him, uh, and Blaney not- conserved his tires better at the end, just like Kurt. It was it was almost an identical situation. You didn't hear Bla- uh, Logano say, "Oh yeah, I was totally blocking him," whereas you know Kyle Larson's dropping. I hate effing Logano and stuff. You know, it's the same situation as the first Atlanta race. Why weren't we up in arms over that uh, with, with Logano's, you know, non-admittance? Uh, I, I, was, I wasn't up in arms because I was pretty drunk by the end of that race because I, <laughs> I, I, I had a big DFS day. So that's why. But I, I guess I just don't get the, you know, nobody's ever said it before. Well, then be the first driver to do it. Like, let's make some waves. Let's, let's be different. Let's stop. I – I, I've always been super critical of, of all the drivers, like Chase Elliott and how every interview, how's your car? Well, Napa, Napa's a great sponsor. I don't give a shit. Like, mm-hmm. be be a human. These these guys are robots. They. I just wonder after the whole Michael Waltrip racing incident where Napa quit Michael Waltrip racing because of Spingate and, and that cheating yeah. scandal. You know, if if this is seen in some lights as cheating in some ways or, or nefarious, uh, that couldn't be so good. But now I will say Kurt Busch was like, hell yeah, thanks, Ross Jastain. So there yeah. was a difference there between the blocky and the, the blocker, or oh, not the blocker, but the recipient of the block. Um, and of course, the blocker, uh, the one who got blocked, I should say, Kyle Busch and, and the blocky. Uh, whatever. I, I'm going to try not to confuse those words, but there was different responses between all three of them. And Kurt was like, hell yeah, Ross is a great teammate. I wonder, I wonder if Kurt already knows what he's doing. So he can say that, you know, for next year, if he already knows what he's doing, so he can say it doesn't matter. You can come right out in the open and say teammates, whatever gung ho. And Ross Chastain maybe doesn't have something sealed yet and has to kind of be, uh, you know, politically correct about it to, to try to win over the sponsors. I don't know. I don't know. There's been rumors that Kurt already has a deal with 2311 and Ross, you know, may we, we talked about last week, may or may not have any deals. You kind of based off his tweet thought he wasn't going to be the track house guy. So who knows? But uh, I think um, given what happened with Michael Walter bracing and Napa leaving and, and a couple other cases where sponsors, ditched drivers for being a little controversial uh, or very controversial in some cases, Kurt Busch being one of them in the past when, you know, he uh, insulted Dr. Jerry punch and, and did some other things and got kicked out of Penske and shell dropped them and all that. And Kyle Larson with his stuff last year. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to, to, 
toe the line or push the line, especially when it comes to cheating in NASCAR. And, and th- again, it's not cheating, but you don't really want to admit, oh yeah, team orders or, or helping teammates. I, I, I held up the faster car. Um, but you know, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. I think maybe it's just circumstances. Ross probably can't do that for the better part, for the betterment of his career. Yeah. Speaking of which, you said that Kurt maybe already has has his plans for next year solidified. I think that was one. I know a couple of people picked it up on Twitter because I saw it. Uh, there was a point in the race where uh, Rick Allen was saying how Ross Chastain doesn't have a ride yet. And Dale Jr. quickly corrected him and said, I think he does. We just haven't heard about it, which leads you to speculate that Jr. might know something about mm-hmm. what, that Kurt actually has a ride next year. Um like I said, I saw a couple of people pick up on it on Twitter. I just thought that was interesting. And I always like – I love when, when uh, Rick Allen gets his little hand slapped. Like, oh, yeah. If he oh, says, yeah. says something stupid or, or something like that. Um, speaking of Chastain, though, he was dock blocked last week. Mm-hmm. Nice, solid 21st place finish out of him or wherever he ended up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and so this that, week it's the 78 cars dock blocked, so that's already a bad finish. Uh, BJ McLeod, hey, you never yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, Chastain, um, Chastain was my random driver. He got dock blocked. The one my model, like your model, was really high on was Alex Bowman. He had a strong day. Yeah. So, you know, the dock block there. So, so the dock block, people were actually asking me about the dock block. Is it good? Is it bad? What is it? Uh, it's bad. Getting dock blocked <laughs> is bad. Um, for those of you who don't know, my random fantasy driver always tends to suck. Uh, and that, so we start calling that dock blocked. Occasionally, as well, um, I would have uh, some drivers stand out in my model that you know were really, really undervalued, maybe in the betting market. And uh, in that, in those cases, um, it, it would often happen in Xfinity, especially something like Harrison Burton would stand out, or Justin Haley would stand out. Like three races in a row, at least one, if not both, would crash. So this week, I was saying, uh, just like, like Jordan had Alex Bowman high in his model. Uh, and was the Jordan Jinx. I also had Alex Bowman stand out in my model uh, as far as median finish. Now, his upside wasn't quite as high in my model, um, but his median finish was fourth overall, and he did finish in that uh, fourth position, I believe it was. Um, So, uh, you know, the dock block definitely came through with the random driver, didn't come through on the model side this week. Yeah, so that was actually, like you said, Bowman was – my jinx of the week, which that thing's going, you know, back and forth. Like there's been a couple of times it's hit the winner. They'll finish top five, but then, you know, uh, next, next week they'll, uh, they'll wreck. That was going back to that. I think my algorithm had Bowman at finishing fourth. So it, I had, I had two surprises with that was Bowman fourth and Truex fifth that I had to go back and just double check that something wasn't entered wrong or something. Cause it, it, it never has Bowman that high. And true X yeah. with how they're struggling, it didn't make sense. But it, once again, it, it it solidifies my stance of and our stance of you have to trust the numbers. Obviously, you know Bowman did finish fourth in True X. Uh, I know you live bet him in that race. He was the best car. I I argue he he was the best car in that race by a good margin, especially at the end. If that was five hundred miles, I think you tweeted this. If that was a five hundred mile race, True X wins that no matter what, which I love to see. I'm heavily invested in True X at least getting to the championship race and winning it. Um, but it was awesome to see Martin Truex Jr. finally show back up. Um, so elaborate on on what made you 
bet Truex live. Um, obviously, I would have too. I would have followed you on that if I could have. I didn't. Um, and live betting is a lot of uh, something that a lot of people don't really get into. Sure. Um, so yeah, and and people are also asking me what what sites offer live betting. Well, some of the big ones that do, uh, at BetMGM, DraftKings, William Hill, uh, very frequently. All three, or at least two of them, will offer live betting uh, for the NASCAR races. Of course, there's some some offshore offshore sites and things like that that will as well. Um, and in Vegas, if you're in Las Vegas, you can find some other ones as well. So, uh, or actually in Nevada, but you know, mostly just think of Las Vegas there. Um, so there are lots of places that offer live betting for NASCAR. So that is something you could definitely take advantage of. And this week was a really good spot to take advantage of live betting. Truex, uh, was 14 or 15 to one at various points in, in different books and the thing that made me really like Truex and you and myself and PJ were talking about it, PJ Walsh of uh, Action Network were talking about it, was how Truex looked really good coming through the field in that first stage. But not only did Truex look good, Kyle Busch looked great, Danny Hamlin looked great, uh, Christopher Bell was doing just fine and, and I think moved a little bit forward in that first stage as well. So all of JGR looked really strong coming through that field uh, and uh, even even the other Toyota, Bubba Wallace, had a good start to the race. I know he faded towards the end, but had a strong opening portion of the race. So JGR was on it. You could tell Hendrick was not what they were in the first Atlanta race. Uh, Chase Elliott faded from the lead. Kyle Larson, two fastest laps in the whole opening stage. Bowman was good, clearly the best. And Byron just kind of hovered around his starting position, maybe dropped a place or two uh, until especially late in the race, he dropped even further. Uh, and this was not a good track for Byron anyway, but you could just tell Hendrick didn't have the speed that we were accustomed to them having at mile and a half. So maybe they're trying some things because this is the second Atlanta race and they're all kind of locked in and, um, you know, like it, maybe they were just trying something different knowing they nailed the first, or especially Larson nailed the first Atlanta race. Why not try something different? You don't have to do the same thing. Yes, those five playoff points would be nice, but Larson already has a ton of those playoff points. And uh, so the whole point is you can have your statistical priors, which is, for example, most of our models. Um, you can have you know st- statistical priors on, on your median finish and your upside and things like that. But as more and more data pours in, you need to move off of those priors as the data points that way. So, and especially as more data accumulates. Now we were talking not just JGR, not just Truex looking good, but also Hendrick looking bad. Um, there was just a lot of, of signs that pointed to Truex having a strong day. Truex actually does <laughs> sneaky enough pretty well at these high tire wear tracks at the 550s. He's been not as good at the lower tire wear 550s. So, um, it's it was one of those things where it was like I can see it I can just I can see it he's he looks strong he didn't have track position that's why he wasn't putting up a ton of fastest laps uh, that's why his green flag speed in the opening stage wasn't amazing because he came from the back all the way up to I think it was like thirteenth so fourteen one made sense and then right when I bet him of course they have that next round of pit stops he has contact on pit road <laughs> has to go back in the field again come all the way through when he finally got to the front. He was clearly the best car in the whole field. Uh, so I agree. I think Truex had the best car. Kurt Busch, 
who I bet to win is Garouk at plus 290. And like you said, you're high on Kurt Busch, especially for FanDuel formats. I like Kurt Busch in betting. Um, again, didn't love him in DraftKings format because that place differential matters so much more. Didn't think he was going to dominate, you know what I mean? I uh, thought he could yeah. run top five like he did the first Atlanta race, but uh, certainly had him better than Logano, who we talked about last week and on, on this podcast didn't look good at these high tire wear 550s uh, or even at the at 750 of Darlington. Um, certainly looked better than Christopher Bell in terms of upside uh, at this type of track, who was another person in his group. And the third one was Reddick. And, uh, you know, he was definitely better than Reddick in my model as well. So Kurt Busch made a lot of sense to bet in that group for me. So really great betting day. Just wish I could have hit that Truex 1400. And uh, I also had Bowman 1600. They finished third and fourth. Yeah, that was, I had Kyle Busch and Bowman as my outrights. So I was really rooting for Kyle Busch there at the end. Um, and definitely, you know, Bowman. I, uh, it, it's interesting to me, are we just hitting that point of the season where I guess, okay, I'll, let me rephrase this. Is, is Hendrick starting to struggle? So you remember back to Charlotte where that rumor came out where they said, don't bring those front ends. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, they haven't, they haven't struggled. They won the first Pocono race, uh, you know, won at Road America. They, Bowman was strong here at Atlanta. We're not seeing the domination, though, ever since that rumor came out, except for Nashville, which is the direct week after. Right. Do you think that – do you think this is just a strong – because J, JGR is very good at Pocono, always has been. JGR is has been solid on the mile and a half this year, really showed at Atlanta again. Uh, and then, of course, a, a Chevy one with Kurt Busch, which we talked about last week. Um you know, Ganassi being so fast ever since the Charlotte debacle with with their blown engines. Um, so I are you concerned at all that Hendrick might be may may have lost an advantage, or is it just it's that part of the season? All we need is one more Larson domination race um to to get our faith back in that. Yeah, I'm not worried. Uh Hendrick was first and third at the first Pocono race, so Bowman and, and Byron and Remember, it actually was Kyle Larson who's going to win that race until he blew a tire in the last corner, uh, and he had yeah. the best car at the end of the race. So um, essentially they were 1-2-4, and Kyle Busch was third there uh, going into the last turn. Um, and uh, you know the second, the second Pocono race, William Byron led the opening stint. Uh, or sorry, led the second stage, won the second stage, I should say. Um, and you know Bowman finished seventh. Ch- Chase Elliott had a terrible week all week. He wasn't really up there. And Larson finished second. Um, he certainly didn't have the best car. He had some problems early on, just like Kyle Busch did. We still ended up finishing second, even after contact right at the opening lap. I think Larson would have had a perfectly fine car at the second Pocono race had he not had early contact in that second Pocono race. Road America, I mean, Chase Elliott won. Kyle Larson and, and Bowman were up there until contact, of course. And, and you know, they, they, they had some issues there, but a team car still won. I think... It's really, for me, just this race where they super struggled uh, at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, there were some bright signs. I mean, Bowman ran fourth. Kyle Larson was probably fifth or sixth best car on the day. Um, and so, you know, it's not like it's not like they were horrible. Um, they just weren't clearly the best team uh, yesterday and – or sorry, two days ago on so, this past weekend. And so, um, you know, I think it's just one race. I think – especially with Larson being so dominant in that first Atlanta race and Bowman finishing third, uh, I think, and, and Byron finishing sixth. I think uh, it was 
uh, sorry, finishing eighth there. I think it was possible that they were toying around uh, because they knew they had such a strong thing here. Uh, let's see if we can find something else that makes us even better. And, and if it makes us worse, that's okay. We can go the opposite direction later on. And, and you kind of saw that Larson junk at the start. It clearly tried something. And, and the TV announcers even said, you know, Chase Elliott was a, a two out of 10 different from the opening Atlanta race. They were definitely trying things. So I can guarantee Hendrick was trying things and they went the wrong way. They corrected it, and Larson got better towards the middle and end portion of the race until he had that penalty, um, and Bowman still was just fine. So I think it was pretty clear they were trying some things. Yeah, I think I think the only guy that tried something and it didn't work was Byron because I've never seen him drop like a rock like that, uh, you know, in the second half of that race. It was – I thought mm-hmm. something was wrong with his car when he was um, falling like that. One thing, one thing I like to look at, you know, not to – I, I, I agree. There's no, there's not really a concern with Hendrick right now, but just looking at momentum, you look at, I like to look at the last six races compared to the last 15 and then take a difference just on average finish, which can be skewed. Obviously if there's, if you, if someone wrecks, but the worst in the, in that category is William Byron. He, over the last six races, he averages 17.7. His last 15 races is 10.5. So minus 7.2. Got Ryan Newman at next worst, and then Chase Elliott up or at third worst, minus 4.4, 10.3 compared to 14.7, and that includes that win at Road Atlanta. So just something to consider there. Um, like I said, I don't. I also don't think it's it's a big deal. And But I think it might – if anybody's thinking that, it's going to be continued this week because New Hampshire isn't a super strong track for, for Hendrick at all. Uh, I know right. me and you are pretty much both expecting a Gibbs battle here with maybe some sleepers getting in there, you know, like Kevin Harvick or Stuart Haas showing up. But um, mm. definitely Gibbs has to be favored. You know, Penske is always strong in flat tracks. And we'll get to that more in this yeah. episode when we talk about New Hampshire. But, um, yeah, just something to keep. Uh, one more thing with momentum. Kurt Busch is the best. Average finish is 7.5 over the last six races compared to 17.2 over his last 15. So plus 9.7 spots over the last six compared to 15, which is, you know, obviously capped off by that win at um, Atlanta. And, you know, Ganassi finally got a win, another win to continue. Is that going to be their last win, you think, as as Chip Ganassi racing? Uh, I would guess so. Um, It's... You know, Chastain's definitely had some good results lately. Kurt Busch has had some good results lately. Uh, but it's probably just too much for them to ask, to, you know, for them to win at New Hampshire, Glenn, uh, Indy, which, you know, are, are the road course. I, I think at Michigan, you're probably looking at Hendrick again. Um, horsepower there, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, Daytona, anything can happen. I guess it's possible there uh, for for the, the Daytona or the Talladega races. But those are probably the two you're looking at. Unless maybe Kurt Busch can sneak one at Bristol or something like that, which is a really good track for him. Uh, you know, if, if it does happen, it's either going to happen at those super speedway races of Daytona Talladega. Could happen at Bristol for Kurt Busch uh, and potentially one of those mile and a half. You know, we've seen Kurt Busch's uh, last few wins. They came at, what was it, Kentucky and Las yep. Vegas last year. So Atlanta this year. So each of his wins in the past three years have been at the mile and a half. So, you know, there's some chances there. Uh, he will be a playoff you know, driver now. He's locked himself in with that win. Uh, and, and, you know, a little bit those playoff drivers get a lot of focus. So um, assuming Chastain doesn't make it in the playoffs, I think all hands on deck for Kurt Busch. 
I don't think, you know, just the odds are that they don't win another race, but uh, it's certainly, there is a few places that are possible for them. Yeah. And one, one last thing here on, on uh, Atlanta before, before we move on. So we talked in last week's episode of the podcast about betting super short favorites, which obviously didn't work out this week with Kyle Larson. Um, I think we kind of nailed that. You know, there's not a lot of value in betting such super short favorites because, like you said, shit happens in NASCAR. Yeah, 100%. It happens in NASCAR. Um, you know, if he was 450, 500, something like that, I can see it much better than um, 300, 250, 225. I think he got down to at one point. Um, that's, and there's such a big difference between, let's say, plus 250 and plus 400 versus, you know, plus 1200 and plus 1400 because you have to think of it in terms of percentage um so you know even just between like let's say plus 200 and plus 300 i mean you're going from having to break even you know, having to win 33 percent of the time to having to win 25 percent of the time that is an eight percent difference if you go from um you know if you go from plus 900 to plus 1900 then to break even you have to, you have to, you you move from uh, essentially ten percent to five percent, which is only a five percent difference, despite the number being, you know, ten, like going from nine to nineteen. Going from two to three is a much bigger difference than going from nine to nineteen. Um, you know, it's almost double the difference: eight percent uh, absolute win percentage needed versus five percent absolute win percentage needed. So, um, you know, except 50, 75% increase somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, relative. So, um, it's just so hard to bet favorites. You need, you need more and more and more and more edge, uh, as those odds get shorter and shorter and shorter. And guess what? Even the most predictable NASCAR races, when I build my statistical models, uh, are like something like 75% of the variance in finishing position can be explained. Um, so, you know, it's just, there, there's just so much that can go wrong in NASCAR, uh, even at the most predictable tracks and even the most predictable circumstances. And Atlanta is not one of the most predictable tracks in general. The, uh, the variance that can be explained is around 55 to 60%, uh, maybe slightly over 62%, something like that, depending on how much you can squeeze out of the model there. Um, and so it's just, there's, there's enough variance at Atlanta to you know, kind of, uh, let's, and, and again, that means if, if you can predict 60% of the variance, then there's 40 that's unexplained. So it's like 20% above and 20% below, uh, you know, so there's at least 20 ish percent of the time, um, already plus another 40% that's unexplained. That's, that's like, um, that's like almost 60% that, you know, <laughs> it's going against Kyle Larson right off the bat. And if he's two to one and that means he needs to win 33% of the time, uh, then even the best models are, are maybe barely give him an edge if they absolutely predict him to be the outright winner. So um, it's just so hard to bet short favorites in that. I know it's getting a little technical, a little statistical there, but the idea is it's just so hard when a driver mm-hmm. is plus 300 or less. Yeah, and we don't see it this week with with New Hampshire. Like I said, we'll get to we'll get to that a little bit a little bit later. Uh, the biggest story this week was the crash data from Talladega and the new car. There was a lot, a lot of uh, talk online. And I, I grabbed a couple quotes uh, before we went live here. Scott Miller, who works for NASCAR, he was on Sirius XM. And what he basically said was it always takes a while to piece together what we saw in a crash. 
He has no idea how all the rumors get started that it got started, that it didn't go well. Um, Scott, maybe it's because you guys aren't transparent at all. We never know anything. The drivers don't know anything. The teams don't know anything. Nobody knows what is going on. So maybe that's where these rumors get started. You know, that's how conspiracy theories start because there is areas within a story that are dark and you don't know the answer to. So your mind starts filling them in and your mind has a tendency to go to the worst possible scenario. Denny Hamlin was interviewed about it. He's, and he goes, I've asked questions to two different NASCAR executives and I can't get a response word for word. Exactly what Denny said. He said, tell us the agenda, tell us the goal, and we will tell you our recommendations on how to do it. Even if we don't agree with what the goal is, which he's referring to super, super speedway racing at Atlanta next year, which is kind of seems to be what the goal is. But he capped that off by saying he doesn't know what the goal is because NASCAR won't tell him. Um, and I'm I'm on I'm on Denny's side there. What what do you think? Oh, 100%. I think you have to be on the driver's side here. There's uh I was looking, I think it was Matt Weaver and maybe Gluck and a few other media members were talking to all the drivers this past weekend and they said to a T that pretty much every single one of them said they were not consulted at all about anything whether it was the changes to Atlanta, being filled in on the crash tests with the dummies, anything like that. Other than I think it was Kurt Busch who maybe hinted that maybe he was consulted a little bit, but um, and go figure, he wins the last Atlanta race here. But uh, <laughs> but um, you know I think it's just uh, one of those things where the drivers are out of the loop, and, and you're right, NASCAR is totally keeping a, as much of a lid on things as they can, and that's bad. That's that's not a good thing. Um, and even some of the things NASCAR said, it was Jenna Fryer who tweeted out that you know NASCAR basically said things were being uh, blown out of proportion, but they didn't deny that the crash test dummies may have had some problems in these crashes. They said, oh, it's it's being blown out of proportion, not represented correctly. They didn't say, nah, the crash test dummies had no issues whatsoever. You know what I mean? So yeah. even their statement was very clearly not a denial. Um, and, you know, just release the data, release the footage, whatever. Come out and tell the truth. If, if there's things to be scared about, uh, crash test dummies, you know, snapping their heads off, whatever it is, uh, breaking limbs, whatever. It's better if the public knows because it, and the drivers know and, the, and engineers and crew chiefs and things like that because they can give their recommendations instead of a bunch of people in suits. And I think it's Delara they're working with trying to figure this out. Um, you know, Delara does a great job on the IndyCar side, but they don't do anything with a NASCAR side until now. So um, it's just like, dude, just oh, be more open, be transparent. And that is better for everybody, in my opinion. Obviously, NASCAR could potentially have a lot of things to be scared of with it coming maybe to sponsorship deals uh, for the series or uh, bad rep for for them or for uh, the builder or anything like that. Um but, uh, you know, at the same time, if, if safety is in jeopardy, that's absolutely the most paramount thing. And the drivers, first and foremost, should be the ones to know about that over anybody else. And they're still in the dark about it. They're in the dark about Atlanta. I think, uh, you know, we talked about the changes potentially there last week. And to almost to a T, they seem pretty unhappy about uh, the direction of, of those changes as well. Yeah. And. Like, like I said, like the easiest way to clear up these rumors is to be transparent. Like if you're transparent, there's you, nobody can argue with it at all. Um, 
another example today, someone asked Bob Popkris about the tire changers next year and whether we're going to see some of the over wall over the wall guys be eliminated. And Bob's response was there is a question of whether a single lug nut could change the worth slash value of a tire changer, but still to be determined. Really won't know that until we see it in action next year. How do we not know that now? How do you not – are you going to roll into Daytona next year? And after the first race, they're going to be like, oh, sorry, tire changer number two. We don't need you because we I, we didn't know until now, but we don't need – like what the – I don't get it. I don't get it. How How is there so much confusion? We're more than halfway through 2021 season. We're debuting a brand-new car next year, and there's all these questions. Like is it – do you, I guess I'll flat out come and say it. Do you think NASCAR would sacrifice a driver's life for money? Because I think they will. Um, I don't know if they'd sacrifice a driver's life, uh, given you know what happened in two thousand one, and they they on in NASCAR's defense, and I will criticize NASCAR when I want to, and I'll defend them when I want to. Safety became the number one priority after Dale Earnhardt's death. Um, there was a string of deaths. There was. Uh, John Nemechek, uh, which is John Hunter Nemechek's uncle, I think. Uh, there was, you know, Adam Petty, Kenny Irwin, and then Dale Earnhardt. String of deaths there. I think it was Tony Roper in there as well at uh, Homestead, uh, something like that. So, um, bunch of deaths at once, and um, I can't remember who the truck driver. It might have been Tony Roper. I need to look up. There was a truck driver that died as well, uh, all in that time span, and they fixed it. We got amazing things done with the seats with the hans device with the safer barriers uh it was but you know the, there's still places roll bars that and everything don't have them yeah yeah but it's fewer it, it's it, there was a while there where you know they'd find another wall to hit that didn't have it they'd find another wall it's but it's so much fewer and far between number one priority has been safety for the better part of two decades now for nascar um and i commend them because there hasn't been a single life lost there hasn't been a single uh, I would say like major injury in many years. I, I, I guess maybe you could count maybe a broken back like Denny Hamlin had or Eric Almarola had maybe is kind of major, but they made returns, you know, um, Kyle Busch broke his leg at Daytona one year, but it's not, it's not, not been anything where it's like I'm injured for the whole rest of the year type stuff or, or serious and never returning to racing again uh, in over a decade. Um, so I commend them. I don't think Kyle- they would sacrifice I don't think they'd sacrifice somebody's life for money, but I do think uh, they certainly care about the money and they maybe aren't going about this the right way. Kyle Busch just broke both his legs a few years ago. Yeah. He, so he, he came was, back. Yeah. But it was, like I said, it wasn't anything that was the whole year career threatening or anything like that. Uh, and I, I actually mentioned we, that Kyle at Daytona, but um yeah, I mean, there hasn't been anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, there, there was, um, there hasn't been anything that's been like catastrophically major. You know, like we talked about Eric Almirola's injury, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s concussions, uh, Denny Hamlin broke his back that that Auto Club Speedway crash with Joey Logano, um, and and Kyle Busch's injury. I think are the four like super major ones that I remember. Even then, I think all of them at most were out half the season. I, uh, I saw a tweet kind of on that and i don't know how accurate this is i just saw it and didn't research it much because i don't know how to research this but it basically said ryan newman's alive because he's short and joey's joey logano's alive because bubba wallace was six inches higher yeah 
And I, and I did forget about Newman's. I don't know how I could, but yeah, that's, that was a big one too. Um, but you're right. There, there are, but guess what? Both of those were super speedway racing. Um, which is what they're it, turning Atlanta into. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And, and some of the questions around the, the test dummy issues were, I think with Talladega testing, crash testing. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's worrisome. Um, Obviously, the biggest injuries have come at the super speedways. I think Eric Almarols was at Kansas, uh, which is a mile and a half, especially, you know, back then it was a little bit newer of a surface and you had that uh, low tire where the aerodynamic edge, like I said, Kansas had some big crashes there for some years. And then California, Auto Club Speedway, two mile oval, very high speeds there. Um, I know it's got the tire wear issue, like not issue, but deal like Atlanta. So, but you're still going 180 into the corner or something like that. So um, you can have some pretty damn big wrecks. And this was, you know, I forget how many years ago, six, seven, eight years ago with Denny Hamill and Joey Logano there. So the tire wear was even a little bit less then. So um, the biggest injuries have come at the highest speed tracks. I don't think we've seen a major injury at, at a, you know, a track less than a mile and a half in forever. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I'm on board with you with, with most of what you said. I was very surprised at some of the responses to Hamlin's video. There was one guy on there that said there shouldn't be any collaborative discussion with the drivers. If you don't feel safe, don't drive. That, that, that's okay. I, I, I can't even respond to that because you're just an idiot. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, and that- I thought, I thought these were the best drivers in the world. Since when do you build tracks to make things easy? These should be profe- professionals. Shut up and drive. Like it, it's that's the just the whole idea. Is they're, they're, and that I'm I want to respond to that one because they actually want it to be harder. They want the 950 horsepower. They want the low down force because it actually makes those cars harder to drive. You have to actually drive the car. You're not making it easier. You're making it more challenging. And that's what separates the good from the bad. They want that challenge. Dude, they don't want it to be easy. What the hell are you talking about there? That's the most ridiculous tweet I've ever heard. Um, Dude, right. these drivers don't want it to be easy. They want it to be challenging. Instead, we're getting these high down force, you know, like super tire grip and everything. And it's like, dude, they're, they're just, uh, they're comfortable in these cars. The only reason it's, uh, it's not easy is because if something goes wrong, you're gonna have a big one. Um, and it's at a high speed, but it's relatively easy. If you've got a lot of downforce to not really, um, you know, to, to not really wreck, uh, unless the air really gets taken off your spoiler or something like that when you're unexpected in the middle of a turn. But I mean, we, they, we, they want it to be hard as hell to drive these cars. They want to separate the good from the bad. So that take, I think, is just terrible. Yeah. There was there was a couple people that were rational. Um, and I have to give a shout out to Aaron2485. And she says, uh, without transparency, there's no trust. Keeping, dr- keeping the drivers in the dark when it's a safety issue, that's a pretty big gamble the drivers are taking when they aren't seeing NASCAR as being trustworthy. Not going 200 plus mile an hour and not feeling safe is a huge problem. We've seen what happens. And that's, I think that's the best way you can sum it up right there is be transparent. That's, that's all you need to do. And people will be fans and drivers will be a lot more, um, mm-hmm. feel a lot better and more confident. But I, I do think it's super concerning, you know, like what Denny Hamlin said, where he basically can't get a response from NASCAR and, I don't get that. I, I, that's, that's, that'd be very worrisome to me um, if I was a driver, but I'm not. So um, 
Anyway, we got we got uh, New Hampshire this week. Flat track. Let's talk about let's talk about the playoff picture first, though. Mm-hmm. Anything change your mind after Atlanta as far as playoffs go? Uh, well, I think the one thing that uh, you know we talked about last week should be worried about. Should we be worried about Truex? Um, he he wasn't his usual self at Road America. Blah blah blah. I said I want to see New Hampshire. Well, we actually also saw Atlanta, and he was pretty freaking good. Uh, I think he's going to be pretty strong at New Hampshire as well. So as far as the playoff picture, who gets in? Not necessarily, but uh, I do think we can cross off being super worried about Truex uh, off our list. I think there were some oddball tracks in there, and again, ones that weren't showing up in the playoffs. So uh, I think that's what's going on there with Truex. Atlanta's probably similar enough to potentially a Darlington or a Vegas or a Texas or Kansas, something like that, you know, where they wanted to try to put their best foot forward there. Um, whereas at, at other tracks uh, that aren't going to be in the playoffs, maybe they can take a little bit more gamble there. So um, I think we can cross off the Truex worry playoff picture. It's pretty much settled unless we get a new winner that's outside of the, the, the current playoffs. Um, so right now uh, we've got, uh, Chris Busher as outside of the playoffs and the first driver inside of the playoffs is Tyler Reddick on points. Um, if I've got the numbers correct here. So, nope. um, is it? Yes. I don't know why mine's, oh, it's cause it's going by stages. I, I had Austin Dillon as 16, but he would be 16 with, with no playoff points if it started. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. Right. Exactly. But um, so in the actual points, it's, it's Austin Dillon, 571, Tyler Reddick, 563. Uh, and then Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell have wins. And then Chris Busher, 467. So, you know, he's almost a hundred points out of the playoff picture here with five races left. Pretty tough to make up in a hundred point gap. Uh, especially if you're not running up front um, to, to, you know, if you're a mid pack car, it's pretty tough to make up the hundred point gap in five races, not impossible, but pretty damn tough. Uh, and so I think the playoff picture is pretty much set unless we get like surprise winner somewhere. Um, obviously potentially Daytona. It's the excitement of having that be the last race of the regular season. Uh, but you know, you never know what'll happen at these road courses with Glenn or, or the Indy road course. Um, we saw, at the Daytona road course, Christopher Bell get his first career win. He's sitting 15th in points, but because he's got that win, he's locked in. So Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500. Uh, what if we have a, a McDowell situation in the last Daytona race? So there is potential, I guess, for your boy, Danny Hamlin. I mean, my boy, Danny Hamlin, whatever you want to call it. But I'm saying <laughs> your boy in, in the case of missing out, your boy, uh, Danny Hamlin, missing out. But it's pretty darn unlikely at this point. You'd need what four more winners still four unique winners still or three, something like that. That's yep. not Denny Hamlin. So uh, it, it's super tough. Uh, not going to happen, but um, you know, I guess never say never. Yeah. So in order for that to happen, we got, we got five races left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Five races left in the regular season, four different winners. Uh, and you would assume, you know, Harvick, Harvick's going to win one. Reddick, Austin Dillon, and then maybe like a Busher or something. That'd be that'd probably be you know where Hamlin wouldn't get in, and that's if he doesn't keep the points lead. Because if he's if he's a regular season points champion, he's in no matter what. Um, which would I think kick if if this is all you know this is all super unlikely to happen. But if we get four new winners in the next five races, 
and Denny Hamlin was the points champion. That would kick Michael McDowell out uh, as they run now, which Bell has 60, 56 points on him. So, um, but more, more than likely, like you said, we have the 16 drivers that are going to make the playoffs, uh, the, the 12 different winners this year, and then RCR cars of Reddick, Austin Dillon, Kevin Harvick, and then Denny Hamlin will be uh, the full 16 plus, you know, everybody that's won this year. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, like I said, I was very happy to see Truex come back to life, come back from the dead. I think all it took was that auto owner's paint scheme. I've talked, I talk about this every time he runs it. That car is just so good. And they actually, uh, did you see that auto owners did a tweet about who yep. actually designs those cars today? I was like, this girl needs all the fantasy NASCAR love in the world because she has some kind of magic. Um, just because, and, and I've, I've proven this with numbers that he is more likely to dominate with that paint scheme than he is without it. And it's just wild. And I love it. But anyway, uh, so we're heading to New Hampshire this week, looking at the, the betting odds. So it's been a while. New Hampshire is a flat track. Uh, it's been a while since we've been to a flat track. Initial betting lines came out. I know, uh, Barstool was one of the first to come out. So, so DraftKings, I guess, made a change where they're doing their own lines now last week, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, I don't know the full details, but things are different. Um, and so Barstool came out first and they had Larson as like the favorite, I think like three to one. Um, you could you could have got Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. at nine to one almost on on there. Mm-hmm. DraftKings comes out yesterday and Hamlin's the favorite at four four plus four seventy five. Truex is up there at plus five hundred. Larson plus five fifty. We have seen some shifting though, um, just earlier in this week. And do you think that's because we haven't been to a flat track in a while? Like, in my yes. opinion, Loudon is pretty pretty easy. We know who's going to contend, um, but at the same time, it's not who we're used to because it's not Hendrick. So do you think books are, are kind of just confused about where to go and adjusting as, as bets come in? Uh, I know I, I've never – there's been three times that I have immediately drove to Indiana and placed bets this season. One was Tyler Reddick and Larson at Homestead because they opened at stupid long odds. Then Sindrick at Road America, 50 to 1. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday or Monday, whenever, when Truex opened at 9 to 1 and Hamlin opened at 9 to 1, I was over there and I grabbed him because I knew those weren't going to last. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting to – and a lot of people don't even, like, recognize this stuff. You know, they don't look at the betting lines till Friday and they're like, oh, Denny Hamlin's a favorite, whereas, you know. So that's always interesting. Do you think – do you think this is going to come down to Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr.? I, I think so. Richmond. Yeah, I think it'll come down to JGR. Uh, don't don't count out Kyle Busch. He's been really good at New Hampshire. I think yeah. it'll come down to Joey Logano, uh, and I think it'll come down to Kevin Harvick. So JGR, Logano, and Harvick are are my my big. You know, let's say five if we don't really count Christopher Bell for the win. Um, but I think either of, of Hamlin, Truex, or Kyle Busch. Uh, I definitely think Logano and I definitely think Harvick are all in this. Now, certainly you can't count out Keselowski. He's been good at New Hampshire as well. Um, I do wonder a little bit again about the equipment stuff and, and all that jazz. Uh, you know, I mean, look, look, Keselowski's only had one finish better than 10th since Kansas. Uh, 
and that was a third at the second Pocono race. So, you know, we're talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten straight races where he's had three top tens, but two of them were tenths. Uh, and the other one was a third at Pocono. So only one finish better than 10th in his past 10 races for Keselowski there. Uh, at the same time, you know, you've got Logano with one, two, three, four finishes better than 10th. And you've got Blaney with uh, one, two, three, four finishes better than 10th. So, um, and, and plus you've got Blaney with a 10th and Logano with two other 10ths. So, I mean, they're absolutely smashing Brad Keselowski right now. Um, so you have to wonder about Keselowski here, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, but uh, I do think it's the big three JGR. Maybe Bell can sneak in there for a top five. Um, and then I think Logano, I think Harvick. Uh, and and after that, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to see who else can win. Now, I will say Harvick is 15 to one right now on DraftKings, uh, kind of like that. And Logano is 10 to one. He was in contention to win that Richmond race until that late restart where Alex Bowman actually snuck out a win. So maybe they saw that, that whole deal at Richmond with Bowman sneaking out a win uh, and, and, you know, when lines opened and Hendrick was a little too high because uh, you know, the whole industry has been high on Hendrick lately, but this isn't the place to be high on Hendrick Motorsports, I don't think. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, you know, you talk about, so, well, first off, anytime there's a flat track, I'm super heavy on Penske every single time. It's won me a lot of money over the years because, and DFS, because in general, DFS players aren't high on Penske because they don't get dominator points, rarely, except at flat tracks. Short flat tracks, Penske is always very good. But like you said, Joe Gibbs Racing, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, they're all starting, I think. I know it's going to be Kyle Busch, Truex on the front row. I forget where Hamlin's going to start, but I think it's up top five. Um, Definitely, you know, we're probably going to see another Richmond where it was uh, Hamlin and Truex just battling for the lead all day. Um, This time it'll probably be the same too. What's interesting though, you know, you talked about Keselowski's struggles. He's fourth on the betting board at plus 650. Uh, Do you think they know something we don't or (laughs) – because there was a quote from Kozlowski last week that said, uh, basically, we're, we need to win at um, Loudon if, if we're going ha- to contend for the championship. I forget the word-for-word word quote. Right. That's, that was the premise of it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that quote, um, but I, I definitely take your word for it. Um, I will say, you know, this, as you mentioned, these tracks are good for – Penske. Um, Keselowski last year had two wins at the short flat, flats. He finished first in New Hampshire, first at Richmond last year, the the one Richmond race. Normally there's two. Finished second at Phoenix in the championship race. Uh, so three out of the, I think it's the four, I guess maybe there were five. Well, if you count Martinsville, but uh, so there's two Phoenixes, a New Hampshire and a Richmond. So of those four, Keselowski finished top two in three of them. Um, and then this year, he finished fourth at Phoenix and then 14th at Richmond. Um, 2019 is a little different because it was the higher downforce. Uh, but you can go back to 2018. He'll finish second at Phoenix. Uh, he had, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, really only only Phoenix. So, like, he's a little bit hit or miss at these. Um, I think Logano's been a little more consistent at these tracks. I would, my model, um, my early model right now, uh, has Joey Logano better than Kazlowski um, for this weekend. So I definitely, if I can find a head-to-head between Logano and Keselowski, would probably take Logano at plus odds right now, um, especially knowing 
the struggles Kozlowski's had lately, especially relative to his teammates, I should say. So I'd probably take Logano over Kozlowski, and I think it just bears out both in the the short flat results, um, the 750 results, and the recent results for Penske as a whole that Logano should be favored over Kozlowski there. So maybe maybe the books know something we don't. Um, you know, maybe that quote plays into it. But uh, you know, <laughs> right now my model is saying uh, take Logano over Kozlowski. Yeah, mine as well. It's not a huge gap, but uh, definitely Logano over Kez. Um, as far as similar tracks this year, I so Loudon, I didn't like when they went from two. They used to go two races here. They went down to one in 2018, I think. Sounds right. Um, you said we can, we can dismiss 2019, not put as much emphasis on it. What do you think about pre-2018, you know, going back to the 2017 years? Is there any value in that data? Um, I know I started that question talking about other tracks, but first let's talk about uh, data from Loudon specifically. How far do you think we can go back where it's still relevant? Uh, I think 2017 is relevant. Um, you know, if, if we look at uh, – if we look at the spoiler size, um, it's 2.75 inches right now, I think. And back in 2017, it was 2.875 inches. So basically the same uh, in terms of spoiler size. So the downforce was very close in 2017 as 2021, 2021. Um, 19, we had the big spoilers. But but 18 and 17, we had like two and three quarter, two and three eighth inches. Um, or sorry, I said 2.875. I meant 2.375. But the idea is they were really small spoilers in 17 and 18. In 2016, I think we had like a three-something three inch. So even 2016 could potentially be relevant. Um, but once we go back to 2015, it's no longer relevant. Those were higher spoilers again. Um, and same with the uh, you know, same with the splitters and things like that. The splitter sizes were much more similar in 2018 and 17 than 2019 to this year. So um, that's data I've been keeping. And I think it's very relevant. You do see, for example, a driver we've talked, I've talked about a lot on Twitter this week, Eric Almarola, uh, much better under these lower downforce conditions uh, than these higher downforce conditions at the short flats. That 2019 year was his worst year at, at Stuart Haas Racing for the short flats. But even as he struggled terribly in 21 as a whole, he's been still mm-hmm. really damn good at these short flats with low downforce this year. Um, Martinsville excluded. He's never been good at Martinsville. Um, he's had a couple good finishes over the years, but like of the short flats, it drives the most different because it's only 0.5 and super flat and hairpin like corners. Um, but the other three short flats of Phoenix, Richmond, and, and New Hampshire, uh, he's been really good. New Hampshire's actually been the best of all of them for him. So, um, I do think 17, if you know, set take 2017 with, you know, definitely a bit of grain of salt because teams were so different back then. I mean, that was probably around the time Hendrick was maybe struggling a little bit, 27, 2018. Um, but uh, you can still use relative to a driver's season-long finish uh, or, you know, how was their driver rating at the short flats versus their season-long driver rating. You can definitely get an idea there uh, to, to adjust it for their team-like performance that year. And uh, that's one of the metrics I do use. And that's why Eric Almarola stands out so well. Um, he is in, you and I talked about this a little on Twitter today. So I'm kind of going a little on tangent here. He is minus 300 right now to finish in the top 20. 
everything I'm seeing in the data says that's still good value. So um, I did run mm-hmm. my model after I after I tweeted to you about it, um, and there's anywhere between um, even in the worst case scenario, an eighty to eighty five percent chance. Worst case that he finishes in the top twenty. Um, there's about a ten percent major incident rate at these tracks. You have to think there's probably even less than that. I mean, there is, I know for sure, but there's even less chance of that of a minor incident late in the race. Um, so let's say 15%. And then at most, my model gives him like uh, a 10% chance of finishing outside the top 20. So 25% right there, 75%, which is what you need to break even on Almirola. The I'm talking all worst case scenarios here. So I think there is value at Almirola minus 300 to finish top 20. It's thin value potentially, um, because we're talking worst case scenarios break even. So it is potentially thin value, but it's still value at minus 300. So you definitely can go back to long-winded answer. You can go back to 2017. You can go back to 2018. Um, skip 2019 if you're really looking at drivers because uh, the high downforce certainly changed things, like I mentioned it did for Almirola. And, of course, the most relevant will be 2020 and 2021 at these short flat tracks. Yeah, so that's uh, that also opens up um, how much betting lines changed this week. Almirola opened at minus 135 for a top 20. And I, I got that. And it wasn't, I think it was about 32 seconds later and it, it moved to minus 300. I was like, and then I saw like they changed big time. Like I, I was refreshing mm-hmm. it and they, everything was changing. Mm-hmm. I Do you think DraftKings got smart with their top 20 odds? Because there's not a single one on there that I love. I know you still see value. I tweeted I, I'd probably, I probably wouldn't hit Almirola again until t- he's like minus 225. I, that's where I'm a little bit more comfortable um, than minus 300. I hate the minus 300. But mm-hmm. uh, I hope DraftKings isn't like getting super conservative here and not letting us have any fun because I had a lot of fun betting Chris Buescher last week, top 20. Yeah. And, and watch – like that was what I was most focused on because – so like I was having a very good day until Larson's speeding penalty. Um, and then I still, I was still profitable, but I, I don't need to, I should not get mad about being profitable on a Sunday, but I'm irritated. Anyway, my second thing that I was watching was Chris Busher. And I'll tell you what, it's so different watching and rooting for someone to just stay in the top 20, as opposed to getting up there and winning. I love top 20 bets, but when you, when you given me odds of, you know, Austin Dillon at minus three fifty. It's hard for me to to make any significant bet on that, especially when you won't. They won't let me parlay them. So, like, if, uh, anyway. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, hopefully, you know, if anybody's listening to this and uh, doesn't follow me on Twitter, please do because I tweet out bets like that. Anything that I think is crazy good value, I tweet it out immediately um, and say, you know, bet this. Um, my my algorithm absolutely loves. Almirola this week um like you said he's just so good at these track types you look at the phoenix race from this year he had an average running position of 14th richmond an average running position 11.6 compare that to chase elliott who had an average running position at phoenix of 11.8 and an average running position of richmond at 12.4 so you so you have to recognize how much Almirola has struggled this year but compared to how he's done on the short flat tracks. He's definitely both DFS and betting. I think a lot of people are going to undervalue him this week. And I know you're on the exact same page just as you were. Uh, I think it was, was it Richmond when you yep. were 
You, yeah. All, all over so, Almirola. So going back to um, and and that and that once again comes back to our point from last week. You need to be ahead of the curve on stuff like that. You know, Stuart Haas is kind of getting back into it. People still don't trust Eric Almirola. This is the week to trust him. This is the week to be overweight on Eric Almirola, depending on where, you know, DraftKings prices him. He's projected to start 22nd. You know, if he can finish 12th, that's going to be really solid value if they price him in the mid sevens uh, or even lower. Um, But uh, going back to my super original question of similar tracks, I know we've talked about this before. Do you take – so obviously we're going to look at Phoenix and Richmond. Those two tracks are very similar. They're both flat. Both race at them both this year. What do you think about? Are you taking Martinsville into account at all this week? Um, overall, no. I don't tend to take Martinsville into account. I think it can kind of be a tiebreaker in some cases uh, if you got two mm-hmm. drivers that are pretty close, uh, and and you're looking, you know, maybe in DFS. Uh, I wouldn't say I would use it as a tiebreaker in betting. If you're betting, t- you know, we've got a minus 110, minus 110. I wouldn't use it as a tiebreaker there. But uh, in DFS, it could be a potential tiebreaker uh, would be Martinsville. But I'm mostly looking at Richmond and Phoenix and, of course, New Hampshire history uh, to determine mm-hmm. how these guys will do. Because those tracks race faster. Horsepower matters a little more. Uh, mechanical grip matters a little less. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it, it's also just a driving style thing. You can, um, you can, it, it just drives a little bit differently than Martinsville overall. So certainly Martinsville is related to these tracks, um, and, and potentially of the tracks, uh, that we're, we're talking about here with Richmond, Phoenix, and New Hampshire, Martinsville probably is the most close to New Hampshire of the three, uh, just because of the shape of it. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I certainly think I would use it mostly as a tiebreaker scenario. Um, I'm mainly looking at at Richmond, New Hampshire, and Phoenix as my data here. Um, you know, there, there, there was a lot we touched on there. Um, you asked if, if DraftKings kind of figured it out. Well, I don't think they, I don't think they figured it out initially because they uh, just, like, as you said, adjusted the odds so crazy right away. Uh, and last week they must have gotten destroyed. Then why would they open it up similar this week and then shift everything? So they didn't figure it out initially. They probably just got absolutely hammered right on the opening there uh, with those mm-hmm. top 20 bets or something like that. But uh, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, I also wish, and I tweeted this out and, and you responded that DraftKings should have no side of these top 20 bets. I would love to bet the no on Cole Custer, whatever minus 140 is for him there. I'd love to bet the the plus whatever no uh, that he doesn't finish top 20. Um, there's a couple of these I would love to potentially bet. But um, you, it, and the other thing you were saying, you wouldn't bet Almirola at minus 300. Uh, I, I, it depends on the kind of better you are. Um, I like big edges, so I probably wouldn't bet it either. Mm-hmm. But I know some people will bet every single edge they see um, if it's outside of their margin of error. Uh, they'll bet, even if it's a small edge, they'll bet every single edge they see. Uh, in my case, I like to try to find bigger edges, um, and just bet those. So there is value at minus 300. I probably wouldn't bet it for Almirola, but there is value there based off everything I'm seeing. I'm with you. I'd probably go minus 250, minus 225, something like that and bet him still. Um, but, uh, so just so many things going on here, but, um, 
you know, I, I love this weekend. I think there's a lot of, and I tweeted out these, these drivers. I think there's a lot of drivers that are, uh, you know, undervalued. I, I shouldn't say undervalued, but guys that I want to keep an eye on in different markets, whether it's betting markets, DFS markets, um, you know, props in, in, in you know, props or, or outrights or things in, in betting markets. So lots of stuff I'm trying to keep an eye on this week because um, short flats are all related to each other. And there's guys that just absolutely stand out on these tracks, especially lately. Yeah. One guy who, who doesn't have a, I'm, I'm once again. So last week I was very excited uh, for DraftKings in their pricing for Atlanta. I, I, I loved how it was, it was difficult to make a solid lineup because you either had to go the mid range guys of like Suarez, Austin Dillon. Um, not a lot of people were on Kurt Busch, but we had like uh, Bowman who was chalk ended up being chalk. Uh, and then, you know, like Newman at the bottom, my projections liked doing three top guys, three bottom guys. A lot of other guys projections like going more in the middle. Um, one guy I'm very interested in this week is going to be the guy that's going to start 10th. And that's Kyle Larson who he's finished second here, second or third here, four times in 10 starts, but has never put up insane numbers. He's career laps led here is 16. I, I just want to know what, like, I wish, I wish I knew what DraftKings priced him at right now. We're recording this on Tuesday. They come out with prices on Wednesday nights. Um, but, I think we can both agree, and we have, that Truex and Hamlin are probably going to get most of the dominator points. I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm very interested to see where they price Kyle Larson because he might end up being a tournament play this week if he can pull off what he did at Nashville. Which actually brings up my next question: Are you taking Nashville into account at all this year? I know there was some talk when we were going into that track, uh, and you know, maybe throwing in flat tracks. I, I personally am not. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, I think I think as a, I think you have to take into account as a 750, um, and we are at 750 mm-hmm. horsepower this weekend. So you have to take in the 750 low downforce into account at Nashville. Um, it, it is flatter as well, so you can give it some weight. Um, I'm kind of doing it like Martinsville, where I think it's more of a tiebreaker. Um, mm-hmm. So if you see a driver has been awesome at Martinsville and at Nashville relative to another driver and you're kind of neck and neck with them, I'd def- definitely give them the nod. Um, but I am taking it into account as a tiebreaker. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where there's enough similar in the aerodynamics, the rules, uh, the engine rules, the, uh, the flatness of it uh, that I do think it should matter. And Kyle Larson hasn't been horrible at New Hampshire or at the short flats. Um, you know, he finished seventh at Phoenix. Uh, he didn't have a good Richmond race, but previously, you know, he's had some good finishes at, at, at Phoenix uh, in 2017, a low downforce year, high horsepower year. He finished second at New Hampshire. He won Richmond. Um, so, you know, this is not the worst track. His rookie year, 2014, which was higher downforce, he uh, finished third at New Hampshire. So he's had some good history at this track. He's had some okay finishes, especially at Phoenix and, and Richmond. Um, Martinsville has been one of his worst short flats, but he got a fifth to Martinsville this year. Um, and mm-hmm. so you can never count out Kyle Larson. And with the fact that he gets that a little extra boost by being on Hendrick now, compared to being on Ganassi in the past. And a little bit of the fact that maybe he's just figuring things out as he becomes more of an experienced driver. Uh, I 
agree he could be a tournament player this weekend. I'm very curious where he is uh, priced, like you said. Certainly tournament potential there. Um, we talk about Truex and Hamlin should should dominate, um, get the dominant points. Obviously, don't count out Kyle Busch. He's on the pole, right? And uh, this is a great track for Kyle Busch as well. Um, multiple wins here. Uh, and, you know, uh, just all of JGR right now, hard to count out, especially uh, at this track. But Kyle Busch, he did win here in 2017, uh, a low-down force year. He won here in 2015. Um, and, uh, yeah, so definitely has a couple wins at New Hampshire in the past, uh, especially the more recent past. Yeah, so uh, Larson, going back to Larson at Phoenix, he's never been, you know, great at Phoenix, like you said. Earlier this year, I still maintain he had the best car for most of that race. He had like three speeding penalties. He had to start in the back because he failed inspection. He still he still put up 45 fastest laps that race, mm-hmm. um, which was second highest. Looking at the five 750 horsepower package uh, races this year, the, the smaller ones, so you got Nashville, we got Dover, we got – Phoenix, Richmond, and Martinsville. Best average running position, top three, Hamlin, Larson, Logano. Uh, and and Blaney and Byron are right there with Logano. As far as fastest laps this year, Larson leads the way with 332. Most of those came at Dover and Nashville. And then you got Truex at 166, Hamlin at 142. So we got those three dominators. We haven't seen Kyle Busch really do much at all in this package this year. Um, obviously he's starting on the pole. He's running very well right now, but over those five races this year, he only has 49 fastest laps. Um, do you think this could be a week that, that Kyle Busch struggles? Um, or is it going to be, you know, DraftKings wise, is it going to be pick, get, get two of the three Gibbs cars, right? Because you know that two of the three are going to get dominator points. Yeah, I think, uh, I think (laughs) it's tough because, um, I don't believe Truex has ever won at New Hampshire. If, correct me if I'm wrong there. I don't. I, I don't think Truex has ever won. So I don't know if this is his best of the short flat tracks. Um, whereas Kyle Busch has, and he did win in the low down force year of 2017. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't see any wins for Truex at this track. So tough to say. Um, you know, maybe maybe Truex is a little bit of a fade potentially just on that on that note and Kyle Busch is a play, but I think you're probably looking at just trying to play obviously at least one of those three JGR guys, if not two of them in your lineups. Don't forget about Christopher Bell though. Um, starting up there towards the front of he's sitting, what is he ninth position um, in the starting that, lineup? That sounds right. Yep. And he was top he five here last year. And he's amazing. Half of his wins came at flat tracks in Xfinity. So, um, you know, don't count out Christopher Bell. Uh, It's going to be a JGR show, but, you know, Kyle Larson could be a contrarian play. And of the JGRs, I mean, I guess with Truex and Hamlin being the favorites, Kyle Busch is the contrarian play despite being the pole sitter there. So um, I I, I don't know. Um, I agree it's probably Truex and Hamlin, but – uh, you can't count out Kyle Busch with his New Hampshire history here. Um, it's not, you know, it's not knock your socks off, but neither is Truex's knock your socks off. Um, it's really Harvick uh, who's been uh, the best at New Hampshire and, and a little bit of Keselowski and, and some, you know, there's been a mixed bag, but uh, 
obviously with with Stuart Haas struggling a little more this year, but kind of coming on, um, it, it could be Harvick that's uh, the great sleeper play at fifteen to one odds. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. um, I, I do just like I said at the top with New Hampshire uh, of this analysis here. I think it's the big three: JGR, Harvick, and. Um, who else did I say? Logano. Uh, yeah, Logano. Yep. Then you could potentially throw in a Kyle Larson. Um, you could potentially throw in a Byron or Bowman uh, or Chase, obviously. Um, you could potentially throw in a Christopher Bell, who I'd probably put in above the other three uh, Hendrick guys. Um, you know, it would be maybe Larson and Christopher Bell. Then the three Hendrick guys, uh, Keselowski, Blaney. You know, they're all up there. That, that, those are the big-name drivers. They're all going to be up there in the mix. But I certainly think it's uh, – the three JGR guys, Harvick and Logano, uh, would be my my top five going into the weekend. Yeah, so interestingly enough, uh, Truex has never won here. He's never finished second either. His best finish here is third. Um, I'm just I'm just looking at active drivers by laps led. Kyle Busch has led eleven or one thousand one hundred twenty eight. He has three wins. Kevin Harvick has led seven hundred sixty five. He has four wins. Denny Hamlin's led 754. He has three wins. Truex has led 744. He has zero wins. Mm-hmm. Ryan Newman, 722 laps led, three wins. Kurt Busch, 635 laps led, three wins. And then Keselowski and Logano both have two wins. Keselowski's led 545 laps here. Logano's only led 105. So Truex definitely sticks out among the active winners here. There's only seven of them. Am I counting? Yeah, seven of them. But He's fourth most in laps led, uh, has a better average finish than both Harvick and Kyle Busch. Hamlin leads the way at 9.6 in his career over 27 starts. But, uh, yeah, I I think you're spot on there um, as far as JGR big three. And and like you said, I I actually bet uh, Christopher Bell 34 to one uh, when he opened just because of how strong he was here last year, how strong he was here in the Xfinity series. Plus he's in a Gibbs car. Um, so it's hard to, and I think, I think I saw a tweet from uh, Ryan at iFantasy Race that he's never had three career top tens in a row, and and this could be the weekend he does it, and I, I think it is. So another guy definitely to keep an eye on. Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I love, I, I you know I tweeted it out. I think it was yesterday that or or this morning, uh, this being Tuesday, uh, but I loved Christopher Bell, and, and I've been eyeing him right off the start. I know a lot of sharps have been. He's still thirty one. Uh, to one on FanDuel, if you're if you're betting right now, uh, I would love to see what that translates to in top five value, top ten value. Uh, right now, if we look at top ten value on DraftKings for Christopher Bell, um, minus one ten, so he's break even to finish. Uh, you know, if you if you remove the the juice there, he's pretty much uh, a coin flip to finish in the top ten per DraftKings. Uh, so. I, you know, he's, he's definitely in the mix here. Um, I'd put him ahead of Alex Bowman. I'd put him ahead. I know obviously Bowman won Richmond. It was kind of a weird fluky win. He wasn't super strong all day, um, but I'd put him ahead of Bowman. I would probably put him neck and neck with drivers like Blaney and, uh, you know, Keselowski and, and, and maybe uh, Kyle Larson, um, you know, maybe Logano. I'd say Logano would clearly be fifth of, of the five drivers I named. Maybe Kevin Harvick. I don't know. It's really the big three JGR guys for me. And then, um, like I said, probably Harvick and Logano. Uh, and then a lot of these names that we've mentioned, Bell, Byron, Blaney, um, Bowman, 
Chase. Uh, I, I don't love Chase here. Do you, do you have Chase's uh, aggregate stats in his career on this? Because uh, I, I don't think this is a great track for him. I think I saw he has one finish inside the top 10 or something like that at New Hampshire. Um, it's it's not a great track for Chase Elliott. He's never been super dominant at the short flats. Obviously, he won the championship at Phoenix, but that's his only win at a short flat track. Uh, so I don't think I particularly love Chase Elliott. Yeah, looking back in his career, he's got a ninth, a 29th, uh, a 5th, 11th, 11th, a 13th, and a 34th. So one top 10 finish, and uh, it was a 5th place finish for Chase Elliott at New Hampshire. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Kevin Harvick. I noticed his his top 10 odds are minus 165, and I really like that quite a bit. Me too. Um, I'm probably going to bet that. But uh, going back to Hendrick, you know, you talked about Chase's struggles. Those are the other two Hendrick boys. Um, even even Larson's someone to keep an eye on this week. But So you look at Byron, uh, never finished top 10 here, but he's also never finished worse than 14th. And then Bowman, his last four races here have been between 11th and 15th as well. They seem to find that little sweet spot there of – not top 10, but not awful either. Um, do you think, what do you think the chances are of those guys kind of outperforming their norm here on Sunday? Uh, which guys? I, I was Byron staring at Harvick statistics there because you were, you were talking <laughs> about about minus 165. Um, yeah, Byron, uh, he has six, six top fives in the last seven. At, well, at, well, what I wanted to say about Harvick was he's only finished outside of the top five twice while he's been at Stuart Haas at New Hampshire. Uh, and uh-huh. that includes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, sorry, three times, um, yep. eight, nine, 10, 11 races. He's only finished outside of the top five, three times. And all three of them were like bad finishes. So something obviously happened in, in those, uh, even in the, even in one of the bad finishes, uh, he led the most laps. So, um, you know, he's just, he smashes it here. Um, but his two of his three bad finishes, came in high downforce years as well. So like in the low downforce years, he's just destroying. He had one DNF and everything else has been a top five uh, at New Hampshire while he's been at Stuart Haas. So love Kevin Harvick, top 10 value. Uh, I'm curious about his top five value even. So let me flip over here to top five value. I'm seeing plus 250. Um, The dude might potentially be favored to finish in the top five. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um he could potentially be favored to finish in the top five. I know, obviously, with Stuart Haas struggles this year, uh, it, it's not as easy as saying he's finished in the top five. What is like eleven out of four, fourteen races or something? Uh, I can't remember the exact number I said, but uh, or eight out of eleven or whatever it is. But even accounting for the Stuart Haas struggles, I think Harvick might even be favored to finish top five. I love a plus two fifty top five bet for Harvick there. But um, going over to Byron and Bowman. Um, you know, Byron's pretty good at these short flats he's shown over his Xfinity career. Uh, so I, I think if I had to rank the two, I'd probably rank Byron over Bowman. Plus, Byron's just had an overall better season-long performance. But look at look at where Byron's won. He's won at Iowa and Phoenix in the Xfinity series. He's won at uh, Iowa and uh, New Hampshire in the truck series. So the short flats have not been unkind to him. They've been good to him even in the lower series. So I think, I think potentially William Byron could pull off uh, a good finish today. He went in his New Hampshire career. He was in cup 14th, 12th and 11th. So improvement every year. And this is clearly 
his best year uh, of all. Um, so I think there's there's much more potential for Byron than Bowman. Of course, Bowman can win. I mean, Bowman dominated Phoenix that one year. He was filling in for for Dale Jr. Uh, he won Richmond, which was a little fluky, but you know you got to put yourself in position to win. But other than that, it's not been too amazing for him at the short flats. And New Hampshire, he's gone the opposite direction of Byron. He went 11th, 14th, 15th. So it hasn't really gotten better for him mm-hmm. at New Hampshire while at Hendrick. Yeah, like I said, uh, you know, Byron starts 16th or should start 16th. Uh, Larson, 10th. Harvick, 12th. Keselowski, 11th. Logano, 15th. There's so many good place differential plays this week. Uh, mm-hmm. along with, you know, Truex Kyle Busch on the front row, who we expect to dominate, if not Hamlin, who starts sixth. Um, again, I think it's going to be a really good week uh, to make lineups in DraftKings. I know I had a lot of fun with it last week, and I, I can't say that very often. Like, most of the time it's just it's just getting it done, but I, I actually had fun. Um, that brings up one final point from last week before we wrap this thing up. Um, so – Ryan Newman was priced at $6,100 last week, uh, starting 29th at, at one of his better track types this year. He had tire issues. He finished two laps down. I saw a lot of people on Twitter boasting that they faded him. And I'm not sure that they understand how DraftKings works. Because even though you faded him and it kind of worked out, it really didn't because the second best lineup in the big GPP had Newman in it. Uh, at that type of chalk, I, I guess I said it last week. I, I don't know if I said it on our podcast. I, I know I said it when I was live on uh, Brandon Cruz's YouTube channel on Sunday. I said, that's the chalk that you just eat no matter what, because at $6,100, unless he wrecks the, even even finishing 29th is going to put him into the top lineups. Um, so with that closing out uh, with Newman and how they've priced him this year, I think we're going to see another low price Newman, another chalk Newman week, um, and probably another disappointing finish with how that team is running. But um, But I think we're, you know, we're definitely on the Stuart Haas train this week. Penske, Gibbs, and maybe some struggles by Hendrick. Anything else you would like to add here before we head into Loudon weekend? Yeah, I do want to talk real quick about Newman, like you said, and one other driver who uh, obviously I'll get mm-hmm. into. But Newman used to be the short flat track master. You look at his his wins. I mean, his first career win was at New Hampshire. He's Won at Richmond. He he won again at New Hampshire. He uh, won again at New Hampshire. <laughs> he won at Martinsville. Uh, he won at Phoenix, which is his to date most recent career win. And even at the bigger flat tracks, he's got uh, a win at the Brickyard. He's got a win at Pocono. Like outside of super speedways, he's pretty much winning at the flat track. Oh, he got another win at Phoenix that I didn't mention uh, several years ago as well. So uh, mm-hmm. this used to be his strongest track type, but for some reason, it's fallen off lately for him. Uh, he finished 28th at Phoenix this year, 30th at Richmond. Martinsville, he finished 19th, which is his best. But last year, 24th at Phoenix, 18th at Martinsville, 23rd at Richmond, 21st at New Hampshire, 12th at Martinsville. So, like, of these, he's getting good Martinsville finishes, but everything's outside the top 20. Uh, you know, it's been a big struggle for Ryan Newman. So that's something to consider 
uh, with with Newman here is a, as a potential fade. Um, is yeah, he's had great history at these tracks, but not recently. Big struggle. One other driver I really, really, really want to talk about, who I think is going to be a smash play this weekend, potentially, especially on FanDuel where place differential isn't as big of a deal. Matt DiBenedetto finished. Here's his finishes at Wood Brothers uh, at the short flat tracks, and I'm including Martinsville in this. 13, 7, 6 at New Hampshire last year. So I specifically wanted to mention New Hampshire. 17 at Richmond, not great. Uh, 10, 8, so that was all last year. Um, And then this year, 14 at Phoenix, 12 at Martinsville, 9 at Richmond. So you're talking one finish outside of the top 13 uh, at his time at Wood Brothers Racing at the Short Flats. Now he's at Richmond, he finished 17 last year, but he finished 9th here this year. Don't count out Matt DiBenedetto in certain fantasy formats or betting as well. Um, He's... Mm -hmm. Along with that Penske train where they've been so good, especially the last two years under the lower downforce, uh, high horsepower package, that's a Penske affiliate. Don't count out Matt Benedetto this weekend at New Hampshire. And that, that team's also starting to uh, get better. I, I think they have back-to-back top tens now, if not mm-hmm. close to. You know, they're finally putting together good finishes. I thought you were going to say Tyler Reddick. I thought for sure. I've, I would have put money on it before you started – talking about the Benedetto that you were going to say Reddick there, uh, who, by the way, had another very solid race at Atlanta. Um, do you see similar upside to him this week? I see similar upside, but I see more downside. Uh, he hasn't been as consistent at these tracks. Um, you know, I mean, if just comparing the Benedetto, especially last year, uh, let, let's just go finishing, just straight up finishing position again at these tracks. 33 uh, and then that was Phoenix, 16 at Martinsville, um, 10th at New Hampshire, 11th at Richmond, 24th at Martinsville, 19th at Phoenix. That was last year. This year, mm-hmm. 29th at Phoenix, 8th at Martinsville, 20th at Richmond. So there's some upside. There's some top 10s in there. But there's a lot of 20s, mid-20s, uh, 18, 19, you know, whereas Dependent's worst was 17th. Right. So yeah, I, and, I see enough upside. I just see more downside with Reddick compared to Benedetto. Especially with starting position, you know, it, it matters in both FanDuel and DraftKings. It matters a little bit more in DraftKings, but mm-hmm. Reddick's going to start eighth. Benedetto starting 14th. Um, you know, it's obviously going to depend on what pricing is, but yeah, agreed. Um, you know, Reddick or Benedetto better than Reddick overall, uh, but both have upside. What about, one more guy, Austin Dillon. We've seen um, him like surprisingly be fast at, I think it was Richmond last year. Yep. I, he had the best car, I think, at Richmond. Like yeah. legitimately the best car. And that and that's why I was kind of thinking of Reddick and how much speed they have right now. You know, if, if, if they would somehow bring a car like that this weekend, um, you know, it could be another didn't see that one coming, Kurt Busch at Atlanta moment uh, as far as Reddick. I don't think we're going to see that by any means, but um, Austin Dillon, is that someone to keep an eye on as well? I, I think he's more in the, he's like right in between De Benedetto and uh, Reddick for me. He's a little more consistent than Reddick, but I don't think he has as much upside or consistency as De Benedetto. So, you know, kind of a safe play, but he's probably starting pretty far forward too with that 12th place finish there at Atlanta. I don't have the, 
Uh, I've clicked away from that, but you know, I, I just for me, um, it's so a it's so hard to play Reddick because he's starting far enough forward. Um, B it's hard enough to play Austin Dillon just because he's starting enough far enough forward and he has more downside than than Benedetto and not as much upside. Benedetto of those three is the play for me this weekend. I kind of put Austin Dillon between the two uh, as far as um, you know what plays I like this weekend. Um, I'd go to Benedetto one, Austin Dillon two, Tyler Reddick three, especially. Uh, on DraftKings, um, where place differential matters so much. If you got the Benedetto starting the furthest back of the three, that's the guy I want uh, in a place differential format. But even on FanDuel, I really like him just because, um, you know, he's if he starts 13th and finishes 11th, that's so much better uh, than on DraftKings starting 13th, finishing 11th, just because it's not going to hurt you as much that he doesn't get as much place differential. So uh, I, I definitely like him in both formats, De Benedetto. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like him much more than Tyler Reddick, and I like him a little bit more, uh, a decent amount more than Austin Dill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, pricing also matters still, but uh, just looking at betting odds, right. right, just looking at betting odds, which some of these sites are pretty correlated, De Benedetto's 40-1 to 1 to win, Dylan and Reddick are 60-1 to 1 on DraftKings. Uh, over on FanDuel, where I, I assume they probably, you know, are going to be pretty close to their betting odds, De Benedetto 55 Reddick 70, Austin Dillon 75. So you'd think the Benedetto will probably be priced a little bit higher than both of these guys uh, on both sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will be fun to see where this all comes out at. But hey, if, if, good if Benedetto's priced higher, that makes me almost like him more just because uh, it might make him a little bit lower. Out. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Hopefully we get another, you know, good slate of pricing. There were only a couple whiffs last week, I think, with Busher at 8,600 and and then the Newman at 61. But uh, other than that, DraftKings did a great job, and I hope they do it again. And I hope the demand stays up because contests have been filling very, very solidly lately. And I'm very concerned now about, you know, upcoming after this two weeks off, how that's going to kill – it happens every time. Every time there's a week off, and it, it demand goes down, and and this is going to be two weeks. So yeah. Um, so we won't. We do not plan on doing a an episode for the first off week. We'll be back the next one probably. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what develops. We'll see what develops in the in the couple off weeks here for the Olympic break. But uh, no episode definitely next week. Uh, maybe the week after. We got that certainly because then we'll have uh, some races to preview. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be it for episode four. Thank you for joining us and good luck at New Hampshire. Yeah, good luck, everybody. Take care. Have a great week.